Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Alicia Plummer, reminding us that whether you marry in the future or not, that God has a plan while you remain single. I would get to the end of the sermon and be like, okay, God, I did my part. Why aren't you doing your part? And I think this is part of those, like people talk about expectations in marriage, but I think we also have expectations in our relationship with God that aren't necessarily correct. And mine for a long time was that I would get to be married in my relationship with God. If I fulfilled my relationship with God properly, I would get married. Patrick Herman talks with Alicia Plummer next. Alicia Plummer is the author of Confessions of a Christian Spinster, Finding Purpose in a Perplexed, Paired-Up Church. Alicia, welcome to His People. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Now, right out of the gate, a question you ought never ask a woman. How old are you? I am 34. 34. Okay. Now, I'm yes. assuming you're, you're calling yourself the Christian spinster in this book. Yes, that, uh, that is correct. I, I really felt that way for a very long time before I was what people would consider old yeah. or out of the marriageable category or even, you know, anything close to that. And I honestly don't look that way even right now, but that's how I felt. Um, probably starting at around age 21, I felt old and I felt disconnected and I felt like there was, it was completely dried up that, that chapter of my life. There was no way I would ever have that kind of relationship. And so when I wrote that, um, title, I was really thinking about that time in my life. And so it's actually, even though it's using the word spinster, it actually reflects a time earlier in my life instead of right now. Well, I even looked up the, the word spinster and it does indicate a woman that is considered unlikely to ever marry. And Correct. so that's kind of how you see yourself at this point. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. But if it comes along, you're going to say probably, I, I would. I, yes. I do. If God said, I have somebody for you, I would say, yes, God, I, I would love to have that gift from you. Yeah. Well, so many people, I think, look at singleness as a waiting game. You hear things like, oh, the right one is out there for you. Or, you'll, you'll know love when it happens. But I think that's your point, really, with this book, isn't it? That God has this master plan for those without rings on their fingers, right? That's right. Yes. I was actually talking with a friend of mine recently and she was like, you should look into this. Um, we're having a local Christian get together with Christian singles. <laughs> and then she did a little research and she was like, it's actually speed dating. And I was like, that's really like the opposite of what the book is about. The book is not that we should be trying to like speed through our single years, but that God actually has plans for those single years. And he has something in mind for us now, even though we might see ourselves as being in a waiting or a holding pattern. And so I that is absolutely the point is that God has purposes even when we do not see purposes. Yeah. Well, I love that. I mean, that's that's right out of the gate that's the right thing to say. It, sort of this book, Confessions of a Christian Spinster, it reads like a memoir at times and so lighthearted and funny though, you certainly have a great sense of humor. I tried really, really hard not to make it depressing, but to also make it relatable. <laughs> so it's kind of been 10, maybe 12 years ago, my dad bought me this book on Christian singleness because he knew I really wanted to be married and that wasn't happening. And so he said, I got you this book. And of course he didn't read it because it was for single women. And so he handed me this book and I started reading it and it was the most depressing thing I've ever read in my life. It gave me zero hope, <laughs> gave me zero purpose. And I was like, this is awful. And so when I wrote this book, I really felt God saying, you need to make it relatable, but you also need to, to make it kind of humorous so that people can 
be able to accept what um, I'm trying to say, um, because some of the things are pretty difficult and they're not what a lot of people want to hear, especially not a lot of young ladies, because this is really our heart is to get married and to have kids. And so we see our years passing us by and we're like, I don't, I don't know what God's up to. And so it can be very difficult. And so some of the points that I make are, are made in that, that vein, because I want them to be more uh, acceptable and more heard. Well, you know, and I have read it, and it is it is filled with hope and encouragement. We're going to talk about that. And I know the it's the, the ironic thing is you have a man interviewing you on about single women, and you write even throughout the book, we as daughters. You know, you're kind of like that camaraderie, and that's so it's obviously written for adult women, uh, but it's really these are universal applications. I, I completely relate to this book. That's awesome. I I had three very kind men in my life who offered to read the book for me. And that is what I consistently got back was that, yes, it obviously is written for women who are seeking God, but it is not unapplicable to other people that are married, who are obviously men, who are younger, who are older. This is the Christian life. This is just the lens um, through which it's being portrayed is a single Christian woman. But like it actually says in the book, we have a lot more in common with our fellow Christians than we have different, regardless of our life circumstances or our gender or our marital status. So, But I love that you start out the book comparing singleness to a unicorn, and you continue that theme throughout the book, even to the very end. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I, I first started thinking of myself as a unicorn way back when, when we just barely started having internet. And I read just this little snippet from some random person online. And he said, redheads without freckles are unicorns. And I was like, redhead, no freckles, unicorn. <laughs> and so I immediately accepted that. And then I realized that this is also kind of the way that we see ourselves as single ladies is because we feel like we don't fit in. And we're sometimes even standing out in the crowd in all the wrong ways. And it's very much that I have this big sign that says, I'm not married and I don't have what you have um, to serve God with. And so it can be, hopefully it's a good comparison for people and something that will stick in their minds that will just bring up some lighthearted humor. Um, obviously you met Jane then yeah. as well. Yeah. So that's fun. <laughs> well, there's a chapter where you explore the meaning of, or of questions, just, you know, what am I doing wrong or what is she doing right? That whole aspect of maybe I'm defective. Can you give us some insight into that? I hope so. At this point, um, for, for many years, and my parents will tell you this, especially my mom, who was so long suffering with me, my my sister as well. And just like, what is wrong with me? Why, why am I not in a relationship? I I think I'm doing the right things. Like I'm I'm looking at the Bible and I, I think I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I'm still not getting what I want. And I, I don't know what to do to fix myself so that I can get what I want. And that really was my mindset for. Yeah very long time was that if I did the right things, that if I um, served at church, if I had the right character, if I had the proper pr preparation to be married, to have children, that I would earn a husband and I would get the family that I really desired. And that did not happen. And very slowly, God began to show me that that was also the wrong attitude. Like I was doing all the right things, like the checklist was there, but I wasn't doing them for God's glory or for what he wanted. I was doing them to get what 
I wanted and it wasn't working and it was very frustrating. And so I felt like I was defective because I wasn't getting my goal, even though I was doing what I really believe that God wanted me to do. I did it with the wrong purpose, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, and you mentioned during the book that, you know, we do things for selfish ambition, that we're all very selfish. We, you know, I want to get married. I want to have children. Uh, You may, some people even go as far as, you know, knowing what the names of their children will be, even without having a spouse, you know, that tells you how selfish we really are, but kind of give us some insight into what you found with all that, that, uh, that uh, epiphany. I think it happened probably Somewhere in um, physician assistant school, I started to realize that my chances of getting married were going lower and lower every year. And as I got more educated and got um, more out of that age group, they were also exponentially decreasing. And I would sit in church and I would listen to what I call a Proverbs 31 sermon. And I would sit there with my little checklist and I'd be like, I got that, and I got that, and I got that. And I would get to the end of the sermon and be like, okay, God, I did my part. Why aren't you doing your part? And I think this is part of those, like people talk about expectations in marriage, but I think we also have expectations in our relationship with God that aren't necessarily correct. And mine for a long time was that I would get to be married in my relationship with God. If I fulfilled my relationship with God properly, I would get married and I would get to have the future that I thought was best for God. (laughs) which is funny to say, but that's exactly what I was thinking was that this was the best thing I could possibly do for God. And so if I did everything right, I would get there. And very slowly, um, particularly in those years during physician assistant school, I began to see God kind of stripping things away and saying, you know, that's not the best future. That's not what I have for you. And even though you're fulfilling everything from scripture, well, you're, you're doing what I want. You have to realize that my expectations for our relationship is different than what you have. Well, let's talk about some of those those bits, those tidbits of encouragement that you have for your readers along the way. Um, I think it's called uh, take one single step. I'm trying to remember. We changed the wording several times, and I think it's called take a single step. Take a single step, which is cute. Play on words. And so it's just encouraging thoughts at each end of each chapter of what the reader could say, could do t- for God during their singleness, right? I mean, that's the encouragement from this book. Yes, that that absolutely is. I I kind of look around our our various congregations because right now my time is split between New Mexico and Nevada, and so I go to two different churches and I look around our congregations and I see a lot of uh, single people, especially young single people, so college age, a little bit younger, a little bit older, my up to my age, which is quite a bit older, um, and. I see that God has so much potential there. And when Paul speaks about singleness, he doesn't speak about it as a deficit. He actually speaks about it as this is your gift, that you will be able to focus and to serve God in amazing ways because you don't have the spouse, because you don't have the family, even though those things are amazing. And we talk about that in other parts of scripture, that these are beautiful things that God displays his Uh, relationship with us as the church in his marriage, and he displays his plan for family in our families that he wants to adopt us as children and have that father relationship with us. So these are beautiful things. But God says as singles, you have this extra amount of dedication to give to God's kingdom and to serve God wholeheartedly. And so I look around our churches and I feel like a lot of times we just sit there and we wait and we wait and we don't really do very much with those years because we 
maybe it's our culture, maybe it's our upbringing, maybe it's just our what we want out of life. We say, well, we have to wait until we get married to serve God. And God's saying, oh no, serve God now. And you might get married, you might not get married, but if you're serving God and you're following those those instructions that he's given you, you will be giving God the glory and you will be doing the best thing with your life. And so that's really where I was coming from on that. Is that something that we impose on ourselves, like you're saying, from the culture that we we think, oh, I have to wait till I get married? Or is it something that maybe even the church imposes to some degree to say, eh, I'd rather take this couple and, and have them raise up the youth group than this single woman? Well, I, I do think there is a little bit of that um, in our church culture is that, or I'll give you an example. Our church in New Mexico called a pastor a year ago, and one of the things that the committee that was asking people to come, they talked about, they talked about whether or not the pastor would have to be married. And everyone that sat on that committee was married. And I was the only one um, who that I know of who voiced the opinion that I did not believe he needed to be married, that he needed to fulfill God's requirements for a pastor. But it wasn't that he needed to be married. It was that he needed to be faithful to his spouse, um, to his wife now, um, whether they were married yet or not, maybe he never gets married. And so I was the only one who was like, I don't think he needs to be married. And so I do think it's a little bit of the ch- church culture that says um, we have some safety by calling married pastors, by calling married leaders, that there is a safety net there. And I don't disagree with that. There is some sort of safety there. Mm. But I also think in some ways it limits our single members and says you can't serve here, even though you are otherwise qualified because you are not married. And so it just is just something to think about as, yeah. a, as a church. Um, for me personally, I can tell you exactly where um, this idea came from that I needed to be married in order to serve God is I grew up in a very conservative um, homeschool group, which was wonderful. And we had wonderful friends. Our family was the smallest family. We had four children, only four children. <laughs> and so you'll hear me if you say how many people, how many kids are in your family, I'll say only four. And that's because of when I grew up, most of our friends had six, eight, 10. And so only four. And so growing up in that, it really just was reinforced subconsciously that this is what godly people did was they got married and they raised a godly family. Hmm. And so there wasn't anybody in our circle of friends or in our acquaintances who wasn't married and who was what I would consider fulfilling God's plan for their life. And so it was the default was you got married, you had children, and this is how you glorified God. So if I missed the first two steps, I wasn't sure how to get to the glorifying God part. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's where it came from for me personally. Yeah. No, I hear you. That that definitely makes sense uh, as you say it. And I I was thinking to myself, I have never been to, seen a church with a single pastor ever. Mm -hmm. Have you? You know, I have not. Um, Our pastor, when I was a child, his wife died. Yeah. Um, at some point, and I'm not even sure he was still pastoring at that time, but that was the only, that's the only pastor I can think of right off the top of my head. So there may be, you know, just by default, these pastors and those listening in across the Intermountain and Desert West, even today, they just by default, they may not even have thought of this and may not even realize uh, single people in their midst you know, I think they, they say they get it, but do they really? What would be the message that you would have for pastors? I think the only thing I would say was that the church is one church. 
and you're that same church, whether you are just a brand new Christian and you're seven years old, you're 70 years old, you're married, you're not married, you're male, you're female, you're in high school, you're in college, your career, whatever you are, there's only one church. And I think that sometimes our church culture right now fragments us into these different classes and says, well, you're not married, so you have to go to this class. You're not welcome in the men's class or the ladies class. You aren't married. So you're kind of pigeonholed into this this young adult class, which is a problem when you're no longer a young adult. <laughs> you're like, okay, yeah. I can go to this class, but we don't have very much in common besides, you know, the obvious we're not married. Yeah. And so that's the one thing I would say is that I think sometimes in our enthusiasm to minister to individual classes, we actually miss the the big picture. And the big picture is we are one church. And when we minister um, to the church as a whole, we are actually doing more of what we see in the gospel rather than splitting people out and being like, well, you're fifth and sixth grade. You can't come to the junior high or your junior high. You right. can't come to the college or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. I would just encourage pastors to see their, their congregation, not as the youth and the children and the adults and the unmarried people, but actually as one church and that we are, we strengthen each other when we are together, but we are actually weak when we are pulled apart. That's a great point. You know, and I would imagine your church must be must get it. You are still serving. You are serving right now in your church in New Mexico, yes. right? Oh, yes. What do you do there? So I am the TNT director for Awana, which is a little challenging because yeah. of my current work situation. But I love serving in Awana. I help out with the ladies' ministry when I can because I'm not there all the time. But I would say as far as our church getting it, it actually came out of necessity because our church has um, shrunk quite a bit over the last couple of years. Oh. And we've become one church because we don't have enough to segregate off anymore. And so we are one body because we have to be. And this is the way it is in other countries as well. I mean, I've done international missions and in parts of the world where there aren't any Christians, you don't think, oh, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Baptist, I'm whatever. You think we are all Christ followers and we are all happy to be together serving and worshiping God. And it's just a really neat thing um, to experience. Now, before I forget, I, I want to talk to you about this because you write for online publications and you blog at your devotional site called pandorasporch.com. I thought it was very insightful, quick devotionals and very thoughtful. I actually subscribed. I'm on now on your Thursday uh, delivery. So can you tell us a little bit about Pandora's Porch and why you named it that? Sure. So I started Pandora's Porch. Ooh, it's been at least five years, maybe a little bit longer because I really wanted to share what God was teaching me, but I wasn't sure exactly how to do that. I was just getting out of PA school, just starting as a PA, and I wasn't sure how to share these things, but I wanted to. And so everyone kept saying, well, blog. And I was like, okay. So I very hesitantly started Pandora's Porch. And the reason I named it Pandora's Porch is because Pandora in mythology, she was the woman who let everything bad into the world. So the gods gave her a box and they said, here's this box. Don't open it. And she looked at the box Yeah. and she just couldn't help herself. (laughs) And so she opened it. And everything bad and evil came out into the world. And so she quickly slammed it. And the only thing left in the box was hope. And so it's a very 
I, I like these kinds of stories because they make me think about how they're tied into the Bible and to biblical truth. And this is very similar to Eve opening the box, letting everything evil into the world. And she didn't shut the box at all, but hope was still there because of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so the reason it's called Pandora's Porch is it just registers to me as a reminder that when we share these things, we want to be sharing those things that are uplifting, those things that are hopeful, and to be careful um, about the other things that you could be sharing. And so it's just a reminder to me to be be cautious about those things. And the, the porch idea is this idea of an old fashioned porch where you gather and you talk and you discuss these really deep subjects in a really lighthearted, open form. Well, the book is called Confessions of a Christian Spinster, written by Alicia Plummer, dealing with the idea of finding your place in the midst of a paired up church and really a paired up world. And today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, we're talking with Alicia Plummer. Alicia, one of the obstacles of singleness is that you're overlooked. And you were saying, I was cheering you on kind of silently that you're, that God, I think, brought your church down to a size to where they needed to have you and make you instrumental in that group. So that, you're just overlooked sometimes until you're married, and but you are serving at your church, and that is one of the biggest problems, isn't it? It can be a very big problem, um, and one of the biggest issues with it, actually, is that being married is something we can fix, right? We can go out, and we can get married, yeah. and we've all seen people who've, who've done that, and a lot of times it's been very damaging and destructive um, to both people who were married if this is not God's will, and so it's very difficult because anything we can fix, we tend to want to fix it, yeah. especially if we think we will achieve something by fixing whatever it is. And so everyone who knows me well will tell you I'm not a patient person. This is why I work in the emergency department. This is why I microwave everything on high. <laughs> I am not a patient person. And so being told you have to wait, you cannot rush this, you cannot fix this, you cannot make it happen, you have to wait for God is very difficult. And it becomes even harder if the church is like, well, just wait. And when you get married, then we'll put you into the children's ministry, or we'll use you to do X, Y, or Z, or we'll invite you to be part of the ladies group. And it's very difficult because you want all those things. And you're like, I can get there. I can make it. <laughs> and God's like, you can, but you're going to have to wait if you want what's best. And so it's very challenging. Yeah. Are you saying that, um, that, that just won't happen unless you are married or, or that that's the, the stigma, that's the stigma to, to today? It's more of the stigma. Yeah. And as I've gotten older and more comfortable with my place in life, I've kind of like just nosed my way in and been like, sure. hey, I, I can do that for you. I yeah. would love to do this for you. And most people are, there's, there's not a problem that I'm not married. But in my mind, there was always that block that everyone else was married. So clearly this was a requirement in order to teach Sunday school or to help with uh, Awana or whatever the case might be. There was this mental idea that you had to wait until you were married and then you could go ahead. And, and I don't think that's what our churches mean to do. It's yeah. just that that is most people fall into the married category. Yeah. And so it's just something that doesn't come across most people's mind. That's too bad. And I, I think you're bringing that out. And I think um, it, part of this is that, and you made the note that marriage can be a train wreck. It, you know, you can force yourself into a marriage and then it could just be 
horrible. So there's exhibit A would be the many married people out there that did get married and hate, hate, hate their union. And likewise, uh, the single people that never got married and hate, hate, hate their singleness. You you got to wait on God. You do. Godliness with contentment is great gain. (laughs) Most of us are are struggling on both. And so... Well, let's talk about that because I would imagine there must have been um, some Bible passages that have been revealed to you throughout the writing process of this book. Can you can you shine a light on maybe a passage that you hold on to so dearly? Yes, I wish I remembered exactly the reference, but it's in Isaiah, and Isaiah is talking about how people will be welcomed into the house of God, and he says, "Don't let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree.'" I have nothing left to give God. Because when they're talking about eunuchs in the Bible, what they're talking about, obviously men who can't get married, can't have children. And at that time, not getting married, not having children was the same as being dead. There was no reason to live because your name would die with you. Mm. And Isaiah is pulling out this imagery of this dry tree and saying, you need to change the way you think about this. Because God has said that you are not you are not a dry tree and you have something to bring to God and he is welcoming you in particular. And this was a huge revelation in the way that people thought. And so it's just an amazing passage and I'm so sorry. I can't remember where it is. It's okay. No, we can, (laughs) we can look it up you know, the internet is a great thing for that. Yeah. I was thinking of while I was working through these questions, the Christian singer, Carmen, do you remember that name? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Carmen said he never married because he, as he quoted, I'd rather want something I don't have than have something I don't want. That's right. And I totally understand that. He eventually, I just want, you know, here's that hope that you're talking about with Pandora's porch is uh, and Eve, but he, he got married at 61. Did you know that? I didn't know that. No. <laughs> so he did. He waited. He found he found the one. So that's kind of an interesting thing. But you know, I would love for you to give us just maybe a little snapshot as we finish off this conversation of with your with your little uh, encouragement tidbits at the end of each chapter. Is there one that stands out for you that you're like this is the shining jewel uh, of what I want my readers to know? Can you give us leave us with something like that? I would love to. It has to be being the bride of Christ, that we think of ourselves as being unmarried, unattached. We don't have that special someone. Some people would even consider us incomplete. But when we look at scripture, we see this theme repeated that we are the bride of Christ and we are preparing ourselves to have that union consummated in heaven. And there's a reason God uses this this imagery is because it's the most fundamental relationship in humanity is marriage and it's the most beautiful. And so that marriage, we are his bride. We are radiant in what he has made us to do. And we are making ourselves beautiful so that we can glorify him and enjoy him forever. It doesn't change whether you're married or not married. And in some ways it's even more special if you are not. I love that. And we didn't talk about this very much, but you you are actually an emergency physician's assistant. You you brought it up a few times there in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Oh, well, it just matches well with my my personality. Go, go, I go. I, I do like to go, go, go. And I like to be very efficient, but I also like things that I can fix. In the that. emergency department, 
we try to fix things and I prefer those things I can fix. So if you're bleeding, if you're broken, (laughs) I can fix that. It becomes more difficult when you get those problems that you cannot fix in medicine and in life, right? Spiritual injuries. That's right. (laughs) Well, Alicia Plummer, author of Confessions of a Christian Spinster. Thanks so much for being with us today on His People. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Alicia Plummer, author of the book, Confessions of a Christian Spinster. Alicia's blog site is pandorasporch.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Paul Putz with a fascinating discussion on the intersection of Christianity and sports in America. And so as Christians, we should be able to say, you know, those things aren't bad, but let me tell you what you're really yearning for when you're yearning for the excitement that comes from a sporting event, when you're yearning for this affirmation that comes from being a good athlete. You're not going to find it in the performance-based identity of an athlete. You can find it in the unconditional love of a Savior who died for you. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.